Hey, everybody, this is Chuck. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know Selects. Hope you had your morning cartoons, and now you're ready to listen to Narco States. Uh, how Narco States works from December 15th, 2009. I have no idea why we saw fit to release this so close to Christmas way back in 2009, but it's kind of funny that we did. But I just remember this is a really good episode. Uh, Narco States was, is a very dense topic, and uh, it's the kind of thing where if you kind of throw some of this information around at a dinner party, everyone is going to think you are super cool. So please do enjoy how Narco States work. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Zonkers Bryant. Zonkers? Yeah. I'm always, I just sit here with wondering what you're going to call me. How's it going? Great, sir. You? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, you look good. You're as good as you were 10 minutes ago when we recorded that other podcast. <laughs> Chuck, have you ever been to Mexico? I have been to Mexico. Have you been to TJ? I've been to TJ. Have you been to Juarez? No, just TJ in like the Baja area. Okay, well, had you gone a little further east along the border to Juarez, okay. you would have been in a narco state. Yes. And you know what? I'm ashamed to say, Josh, that I did not know what a narco state was. Really? I've heard of it, but I didn't really know what it was. I can't remember if now. I pitched this one or if Chanel did, but it's a, uh, it's it's a good, good one. one. Yeah. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Huzzah. Yeah. Um, well, Chuck and I were talking about narco states, as you probably were tipped off by the title of this podcast. Sure. And for those of you who don't know what a narco state, it is. Uh, Josh, I'm just going to give my own definition, okay. which is it is a uh, country where they sort of allow drug trafficking and in some cases even participate in the drug trafficking. Yeah, and it, it's very, very rarely an entire country. Okay. Um, most of the time it's like a region. A region of a country. A, a very small area, city. Although there are cases where there have been narco states, like fully functioning countries that right. are run by drugs. Like the their gross domestic product is almost fully funded by drugs. Yeah. The government's in on it. The military's in on it. Uh-huh. Um, and right now, as far as I could tell, there's only one functioning narco state in the world. Afghanistan? No, it's close, though. Uh, Guinea-Bissau. Oh, yeah, sure. In Africa. Yeah, we'll West Africa. That. I can't wait to tell that story. It's a good one. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so a narco state, as Chuck said, is basically any uh, area where the government is either directly involved or turning a blind eye to drug trafficking. Yes. In uh, Central Mexico, Central America, South America, always known as being rife with this kind of thing because chances are if you're doing drugs in the U.S., Chances are it did not come from inside the United States. No, unless it was meth sure, or pot. Yeah, and even then, chances are it probably didn't, although there is a lot of domestic uh, meth labs and, mm-hmm. and pot farms and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, the chances are it came through Mexico, sure. if not from Mexico. Right. Mexico didn't used to be nearly as violent. You know, Juarez, which we were talking about, um, had, I think, 300 murders in 2007. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden there was uh, a drug war started that's still going on now. Right. And in 2008, they had 1,500 murders. Yeah, that's a heck of a stat. Yeah. Yeah, Detroit had, like, less than 300 murders in 2007. <laughs> so Detroit's safer than someplace? It's, it's safer than Juarez, believe it or not. Well, thank God for that. Yeah. 
I didn't get the stats on Tempe though, so I can't say. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the reasons why, uh, is, and we'll see that American intervention one way or another, uh, usually has an impact on the formation of a narco state. But one of the reasons why Juarez and some of the other border towns along Mexico have turned into narco states, uh, is because the, uh, Coast Guard and the DEA effectively shut down the Caribbean in the 90s. Right. That was the main route from, um, South America to the U.S. for Coke. Yeah. And Americans love Coke. A lot of the world does. And one thing that I learned from yes. reading this article and just by living as a human mm-hmm. in the world uh-huh. is that drugs will find a way to get into the country. They definitely will. Like, for example, when the Caribbean was shut down, yep. they started moving it through Central they America and up through Mexico. Came came another route. One way or another. And the reason why is, um, well, like I said, Americans love cocaine. We consume 40% of the global supply of it every year. Yeah. Europe um, does uh, a lot of cocaine, Europe too. Europe loves the junk, too. Oh, no, Europe is the heroin. Yeah, they right. have um, 11% of the global population uh, in Europe. Right. But they have one-third of the world's um, heroin addicts. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah, it's weird how it's localized like that. It is, but think about it. Think about how much closer Europe is to the heroin-producing sure. countries of the South Asia. Yeah, yeah. And think about how close we are to the cocaine-producing com- countries of South America. Yeah, which Although, affects the price, of course. It definitely does. Um, you want to give them that stat? Josh, a kilogram of uncut cocaine, mm-hmm. as you hear on the cop shows, has a, goes for $22,000. That same kilo fetches... Uh, about $120,000 in Moscow. That's a big markup. Oh, it's a huge markup. Is that street value, as they call it? And I'm sure those are way off. I'm sure you could get a kilo for a lot less or pay a sure, lot more, yeah. whatever. But um, the, one of the things the feds like to do is pump up their numbers. Yeah, yeah. So that they can get more funding. Yeah, but, makes sense. Yeah, you can definitely get a kilo of cocaine in America a lot cheaper than you can um, in Russia. In Russia. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chuck, um, all of that, all of those kilos add up pretty quickly. And the drug trade, the global drug trade, um, makes an estimated $300 billion a year. Yeah, that's nuts. That is a lot of cash. You could bail out two AIGs for that. <laughs> so, Chuck, we talked about um, the narco state being a, uh, uh, an area where government's either looking the other way or selling drugs directly. Right, or helping them out, maybe, just uh-huh. aiding them. Um, there's a big problem with this. I would say so. But, well, I mean, you just think about it. You're like, oh, the government's not supposed to do that. You right. have to stop and think why. Why the, why the government's not supposed to do that? Yeah. Well, because they're supposed to protect their citizens. Yeah. There's something that um, Thomas Hobbes called the social contract, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And basically it said, like, in exchange for certain freedoms, like, we can't just do anything we want to right. we're, that we give to the government. We're going to give that power to the government. And one of those things is the state violent, the state monopoly on violence. Right. Where, like, the government can put you in jail, mm-hmm. the government can um, kill you, execute you. Yeah. But the government's supposed to be the only one who does that. So if somebody, you know, shoots your kid, you don't go shoot them in the head. Yeah, You sure. get the government to go after this guy and incarcerate or kill him. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, and in the civilized world, the social contract is kind of how we developed as nations of the world. Mm-hmm. And it works pretty well. For the sure. most part. We'll say, I mean, that's a whole other podcast right yeah. there. But in narco states, it's a little different because that's a little bit of a sham. They kind of have that contract as long as it doesn't interfere with the drug trade. Right. The government's given its uh, its power to drug traffickers yeah. a- at the expense of the, the people they're supposed to be protecting and representing. So that's number one. Yeah. Right? Sure. So how does this happen, right? Well, one reason why that might happen 
there's a bunch of different ways that could happen. But one reason is if, um, let's say you're in uh, Colombia and all of a sudden you've heard the, the term Colombian necktie. I have. Yeah. All of a sudden your judges and your uh, council people and your, and your politicians are getting knifed and executed in back alleys. By the dozens, all of a sudden the government might say, hmm, wait a minute, we might want to not go after these drug traffickers. Right, because if the state is doesn't have a monopoly on violence any longer, yeah. if, you know, paramilitary groups affiliated with drug traffickers do, yeah. then, yeah, apparently in Colombia, they came at the Justice Building with tanks. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't the military. Uh-huh. This was a rebel faction. Yeah. I, don't, I think it was FARC that did it. Right, Josh, FARC. That is F-A-R-C. That stands for the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, translated into English. Right. Uh, and they're actually a communist guerrilla group. Dude, they're an army. They are. And um, they actually got into drug trafficking in the 80s, I think. Indeed. Um, so, okay, so you have a huge armed guerrilla army attacking your justice department in the country's capital. Uh-huh. That's a good way to get a narco state started, right? Yeah, yeah. sometimes you're bribed into it. That's another one, too. All of a sudden, if your coffers are being filled, a lot of politicians are willing to look the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if your intelligence services yes. become compromised by drug traffickers, you're in big trouble. Yeah, if those are corrupted, you're finished. Yeah, because uh, the intelligence services are usually toward the top of the military hierarchy. And if they're corrupted, they can turn the entire military against you know, the government, which there is a division. Um, and... After that happens, again, you're in big trouble and a narco state can form. Yeah, plus they, they know a lot about smuggling the intelligence community. And if all of a sudden they're on your side, then all of a sudden you know a lot about smuggling. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, you have to know how to get people or arms or something in and out of countries yeah. without being detected. Sure. So you know where all the airfields are. Yeah. You have access to planes and boats and stuff. Mm-hmm. You just start throwing kilos of coke in there, and all of a sudden you're a drug smuggler. Yep. Boom. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of tough for us to think about this in the United States because we've had a pretty stable government for the last couple hundred years. Yeah. But uh, in, in areas, in countries where there's been high government turnover mm-hmm. and lots of uh, internal conflict, um, let's say infrastructure like roads, bridges, water, electricity, these things have been cut throughout these civil wars and the government's too poor to fix them. All of a sudden the government's delegitimized. Yeah. And it, uh, another like a rebel faction can sure. step in and say, hey, uh, we're taking over. And by the way, we love drug trafficking. Right. I got a couple of stats for you Let's hear. along those lines. Uh, Guatemala uh, endured a 36-year-long civil war. Mm-hmm. El Salvador in a 12-year-long uh, civil war. And Nicaragua had one that lasted 19 years. Yeah. And so what this means is it's a very unstable region, uh, easily swayed by whoever has the power, drug traffickers or the government. Right. And it also means there's a lot of guns. 
Yeah, and a lot of uh, former veterans that are out of work but yeah. know how to use those guns sure. and can serve as a guerrilla army. Yeah, and a lot of times these are poor countries, too. So, sure. In fact, I would say almost every time it's a poor country. Right. And it's it's you don't have to be a genius to figure out. you got guns, you got these former military guys, you got really poor people, and you have loads of drugs that's worth a lot of money. It's really not too hard to devolve into a narco state. No, it's not. Uh, and, of course, the root of all narco states is money. Yeah. Uh, either, like Chuck said, bribes, that kind of thing, or um, the GDP, Afghanistan. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, their GDP is like $6 billion annually, which what's the United States, I think, has $14 trillion GDP. Yeah, something like that. Um, so it's kind of like, holy cow, how do you live like that? They've been doing pretty good, uh, but half of that has been... Through heroin. Right. Poppies. So Karzai, Hamid Karzai, who was, um, I'm going to make air quotes, elected president of <laughs> Afghanistan twice. Well, I made air quotes again. On he the just re-elected, twice. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Re-elected. Right. Um, he has, uh, is well known for turning a blind eye while saying, we need to get rid of these poppies. Yeah. Um, and the U.S. is like, okay, well, let us spray. And he's like, no, no, we have to do it all by hand. Right. Um, and apparently the uh, American forces over there um, have to – well, the DEA is over there as well. But the American commanders of the armed forces in Afghanistan don't let the DEA in at all. Yeah. And they're frustrated pulling their hair out because they're not getting any support whatsoever. And it's kind of one of those things like everybody knows that Afghanistan produces poppies. As a matter of fact, in 2006, they um, produced the highest poppy harvest in recorded human history. Yeah, just a couple of years ago. It was double what it had been the year before. So clearly they're not pulling enough by hand. It, no, uh, because cars I won't let them spray overhead. Yeah, which is, I should explain, they, that's a common method to, uh, like you crop dust fields to, to put chemicals on them. You do the same thing if you want to eradicate and kill them. Right, and it is very effective. It's well, worked sure. in Colombia. Uh, Colombia uh, finally has a president, I shouldn't say finally, but Colombia has a president that's very uh, sympathetic and friendly to the U.S., and he's uh-huh. got the DEA in there. Yeah. And they have eradicated a lot of um, cocoa fields using that, that method. Yeah. So it does work, but Karzai's like, no. And apparently there's been more and more and more uh, reports of the people who are involved in the central government uh-huh. are all drug lords, or most of them are drug right. lords, too. So Afghanistan is teetering right on the edge of be- being a narco state right. if it's not already. Right. So uh, it, contributing to half of your GDP, yeah, that's sure. another reason for a narco state to develop. Yeah, and, well, since we're on money, another thing that money brings is uh, bribes and corruption, like we were talking about. And I have to mention this because you uncovered this great fact from Guatemala. Uh, the federal judge... That's just hard to believe. Yeah. A federal judge was accused of accepting thousands of dollars in bribes to dismiss a drug trafficking case. And at the end of this, he dismissed the case. At the end of this trial, uh, this judge was seen driving the defendant from court. Yeah. So it goes pretty deep. Yeah, and Guatemala um, is a de facto narco state right now. Yeah, big time. Um, and in Central America itself, which is, like we said, since the... Um, since the Caribbean's been shut down, Central America started to play a really key role as a, as a supply line between South America and North America. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, because of all those conflicts that you mentioned earlier, there's now a ratio of five to one illegal unregistered guns to guns held by um, legitimate police and armed forces. Not good. No. 
That, so let's keep an eye on Central America. Yeah, that means trouble is coming. Okay, so Central America, um, again, we talked about how it's been uh, destabilized by conflict. There's tons of guns. There's terrible infrastructure. But there's plenty of drugs and narco states. And you know what else, dude? What? In Guatemala? They have uh, – corrupt government officials there have drafted legislation that prevents um, extradition. Yeah. And as we know, extradition is a really valuable tool for us when we're trying to uh, prosecute these drug lords. Right. And they said you can't do it. Nope. So that kind of says right there, let us make our money. Yeah. U.S., stay out of our hair. Yeah, once you have the Congress and the judiciary in your pocket, that's even more valuable in the military. Yeah. Although the military is a really good first step. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so Chuck, one of the reasons why you, you might notice that um, Central and South America keep popping up, right? One of the reasons why is because um, Central America specifically was a Cold War battleground where the U.S. and the USSR fought one another in proxy wars uh-huh. um, through throughout the Cold War. Uh, basically, both countries just completely used nations in Central and South America to fight fight one another, yeah. try to bleed one another out. You know what that means? What? That means that these people that live there are being trained by either uh, Russian or American military. Mm-hmm. They're being supplied with guns and ammunition yeah, and all the things that you need once you stop and say, Cold War is over, all those guns and trained dudes are still there. Right. And they're like, well, what should we do with all this stuff? Yeah. Let's and, run drugs. And, and not only that, we are not getting funding from the Soviets or the Americans anymore. So, well, exactly. But we still – the war didn't end for them. The conflict didn't end for them. The power struggle didn't end for them just because the Americans and the Soviets suddenly lost interest. Right. It's still going on, and they're, they are funding it through drugs, right? Yeah. Um, and also, uh, the U.S.-backed right-wing paramilitary groups uh-huh. or right-wing um, dictatorships, and the Soviets, of course, backed left-wing groups like FARC. Right. Um, and FARC has a, uh, a reputation for being extremely brutal. They use child soldiers. They engage in kidnappings, bombings. Um, at, at, Kill their own people. Sure. At one point, um, they uh, offered $1,000 to anybody who killed a government official. Wow. So they were outsourcing their terrorism. And they're communists, and they were supported by the Soviets. So, of course, they're horrible. The U.S. supported equally brutal regimes and groups. Right. Yeah. Like La Cofrida. You know about them? They're Guatemala. Yes, they uh, were very much supported by the U.S., and they helped kill as many as 200,000 of their own people during that uh, Civil War. Yep. Josh, La Cofrida wasn't the only one. Right. Remember the 1980s when uh, President Reagan launched the War on Drugs? Mm Mm-hmm. You know what was going on at the same time? What? We were providing funding and weapons for the same anti-communist paramilitary groups that were producing and distributing this cocaine. Yeah. Right at the same time. Yep. Yet we were fighting a war on drugs. Yeah. Doesn't add up, does it? Not only that, you remember uh, Manuel Noriega? We went down to Panama in 1989. Uh-huh. Delta Force was there. Special Forces was there. Yeah. Um, and we captured him and then put him in prison in Miami for a couple decades. Yeah. He was a CIA asset for eight years. Yeah, he was operating a narco state under our supervision. Yeah. You could say. Yeah. Uh, and then once news leaked out to the general public that he was a drug dealer... Um, we went down and removed him from power. Right, and gave, I believe he's still in prison, right? Sorry. No, he just got out. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like a year ago or something like that. Well, good for him. And again, this is the same thing that's going on right now in Afghanistan. 
um, we're well aware that Karzai is totally cool with the uh, heroin production in that nation. Right. Uh, which, by the way, is far and away the, the largest producer of heroin or opium poppies um, in the world. So it's still going on. Yeah. Although right? we, we donated a lot of, or donated, I guess that's not the right word, but we gave them close to $800 million for uh, counter-narcotics operations and measures. Mm-hmm. I'm sure every penny went to that thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so it's still going on, but we, we the, the reason why it's really disturbing that this is still going on is because we haven't learned a very clear lesson from this, and that's when we support groups that engage in drug trafficking, it invariably comes back to bite us in the ass. Yeah. Um, like uh, I mentioned La Cofrida. Right. In Guatemala. Mm-hmm. The two uh, guys who are running that show, running Guatemala as a narco state, uh-huh. were both trained by the United States at the School of the Americas. At yeah, the Fort Benning, I think. Yeah, right here in Georgia. Yeah, it's where they trained uh, foreign people. No, specifically South Latin American. Oh, uh, Latin Americans. Yeah, it was where set they trained up specifically them. to train them. Yeah, pretty controversial. Yeah, um, because they trained them in assassination, right? Uh, in assembling guerrilla armies and destabilizing central governments, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're training these guys to go fight the Soviets, but then again, after the Cold War's over, these guys are still going. They're still around. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Mexican Gulf Cartel, uh, which has become hugely violent and uh, kind of big, um, ha- is run by a couple of guys who were also trained at the School of the Americas. So basically, the world's biggest drug dealers were trained by the United States in the art of smuggling and all sorts of other stuff. Mm-hmm. They were trained in their craft. Yeah, and I think the Russians uh, used Escobar, right? Yeah. To uh, to help um, guard their poppy fields, is that right? Or Fark. the cocoa? Yeah, FARC actually started out um, guarding uh, Escobar's cocoa fields in right. Colombia uh, for the Medellin cartel, right? Yeah, Medellin. And then apparently they're like, wow, this guy's making a bunch of money. We're going to go out on our own, and they became rivals. Yeah. And then... Again, Delta Force goes down there and oversees the assassination of um, sure. Escobar. Yeah. So Which I money. don't mean to sound paranoid. Like, I really researched the, this article, and yeah, all yeah. this is fact. Oh, yeah. Everything that isn't fact, I've made, like, verbal air quotes with. <laughs> right. Like, this is this is documented stuff. Yeah, and it's so much money in legitimate publications. Uh-huh. You know? It's all about the greenbacks. Yes, it So is. much money at stake. So let's talk about Africa, man. That's the place to be these days. Well, if you're into narco states. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Africa has really risen uh, since the mid-80s. That was the first sign of a, a drug presence uh, in Africa and Zambia, although it was marijuana in uh, in Zambia at the time. That's how it started out, at least. Right. The gateway drug, even when you're talking narco states. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, so uh, Zambia goes um, – is exposes a narco state apparently the government wasn't aware of this one but a group of prominent citizens were operating like a sub-state yeah a sub-narco state just under the noses of the the functioning government mm-hmm. right and again very poor people which is is key yeah. that's a that, yeah if people don't have any money and all mm-hmm. of a sudden people come and give them gobs of money they'll you know say, yeah oh okay you want to yeah, be a drug mule I'll I'll we'll give mule. you this much money no, sure. no problem So Zambia was the first to start it in Africa. And then the 90s, um, the the reason why it picked up speed in the 90s was because it was the end of colonialism. It right. had just ended within the last decade or so. 
um, and this European influence and influx of money and exploitation um, left a vacuum economically, financially, uh, and oftentimes with central governments. There's a, just a vacuum and nobody's doing anything. There's no way to make any money sure. or anything. So narco states are setting up. Senegal was another one. Yeah. In the 90s, I believe uh, heroin and cocaine really were on the rise. And here's a stat that you, you dug up. It was pretty good. In 2008, the uh, the Telegraph newspaper in England reported that the cost of a bribe to look the other way at the airport when you're flying in at, at, in Dakar with mm-hmm. drugs, mm-hmm. nine grand per kilo of cocaine. Right. And Chuck just mentioned a little funny little word, and it was cocaine. You don't associate <laughs> Africa with cocaine normally. Well, yeah, that's true. You do now, though. Yeah, big time. And one of the reasons why um, it's popped up in Africa is because West Africa is a perfect stop for cocaine en route to Europe. Right. Remember we talked about Europe having a huge problem with um, heroin. One of the reasons they didn't have a big problem with cocaine is because the Colombians and other South Americans hadn't figured out how to get it to them. Now all of a sudden West Africa is devolving into narco states because they finally figured out we need a port and West Africa is it. Right, specifically Guinea-Bissau. This is this is like we said earlier the one true functioning narco state right now. Yeah, 150 million dollars worth of cocaine passes through uh, the borders of Guinea-Bissau each month and that was in 2007. And what is 150 million dollars times 2 to them? Uh their gross domestic product. It's half of their gross domestic product. So the entire nation, all of the goods and services produced in Guinea-Bissau in, in, in above the boards equals $300 million a year. Right. And they have half of that coming through their country in cocaine. Cocaine. A month. Yeah. Tell the story of how this started there. This is so interesting. It is. Uh, what year was it, Chuck? 2005. 2005, yeah. There were a group of Guinea-Bissauan fishermen who were out um, in their boats, and there was a big old package floating, or maybe several smaller packages, is floating there. So uh-huh. they hauled them in with their nets, and they took them back to land. They opened them up, and there was this white powder inside that they'd never seen before. Right. They didn't know what to do with it, so they actually used it as fertilizer on their crops, which it killed their crops very Did they quickly. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And then finally one day, while they're still puzzling over this stuff, God knows what else they did with it. Yeah. Uh, a man, a South American man, shows up and says, hey... Um, I believe you have something that belongs to us. Yeah, and uh, that's cocaine. That's our cocaine. Uh-huh. We'll give you a million dollars for it. Yeah. Uh, which is one three hundredth of the uh, entire gross domestic product, remember, of, yeah. of Guinea-Bissau. And so they say, okay, and by the way, can we do this again? Yeah. And that was the birth of the Guinea-Bissau and narcos. Yeah, it completely happened by accident. It did. That's I mean, nuts. can you imagine that? And Guinea-Bissau is a perfect narco state. The cops literally in this in the capital um, Bissau. It's the capital city of the country. Uh-huh. The cops have five cop cars, and they almost never have gasoline to fuel them. And they have $150 million worth of cocaine going through the borders with five cop cars. Right. It was a former Portuguese colony. The Portuguese left. Um, and Guinea-Bissau, there's not an airplane associated with that country, but they have airfields out on, like, barrier islands that are just totally unused, unpatrolled. Right. Um, and what's more, the military is completely in the pockets of the, um, I think they're mostly Colombians that took the place over, built stucco mansions. They have um, direct TV antennas on their roofs right. in this 
in- incredibly poverty-stricken country. They stick out like sore thumbs. They don't care. And one of the reasons why is, like I said, the military is on their side. Yeah. How did is uh, how do we know that, Chuck? Josh, in September of 2006. Yeah. Uh, cops there arrested two Colombian guys in a house with 700 kilos of cocaine. Yeah. And uh, the soldiers came. They showed up at the police station, surrounded it, and said, give me the cocaine and the men. And uh, they did so. And they got in their cars, loaded up the coke, and drove away. The cops watched the, the military load up the coke and yeah. just leave with the guys. Said, thank you for your time. Yeah, and that was it. The, that was... um. That was the beginning of the end. The military engaged in an all-out war with the government and ended up assassinating the president after laying siege to his mansion for several hours. Yeah, just this year, right? In March? Uh-huh. He was, he was uh, assassinated in March. Yep. So there's no central government in Guinea-Bissau. The Colombians are there selling drugs, uh, using it as – actually, they're not selling it in Guinea-Bissau as far as I know. They're using Guinea-Bissauans as mules. Right. Um, who – they're even more perfect – because it was a Portuguese colony, they don't have to have visas to get into right. Europe. Yeah, I mean it's like it's like Pablo Escobar went. God, right. I need you to do me a favor. <laughs> I got some friends back there on Earth, and they need a place in West Africa. They need a Can perfect you narco give state. Give us a perfect narco state, and God's like Guinea Bissau. Sure. And I think you said the average annual income there is like five hundred bucks a year for a civil servant's job. Yeah. So it's clear that if you start waving just. Small amounts of money under their nose that they're going to be at your beck and call. Yeah. So Guinea Bissau, one yeah. to watch. I mean, it's just insane right there. I'm sure, it's not a safe place to be. No. Nope. So that's narco states. Um, I have a headache just from talking about it. How about you, Chuck? I do. Kind of dense, isn't it? It is. It was a really good article, though. Thanks, man. Uh, if you want to read the article that I wrote um, and pour my blood, sweat, and tears into, <laughs> you can type narco states. That's two words in the handy search bar at howstuffworks.com. And uh, that means it's time for listener mail. Yeah. You know, it's funny is this morning, Emily asked me uh, while we were getting ready for our day. What we're going to podcast on, and I said narco state. She said, "What's narco state?" And I went, "I don't know." <laughs> and here, like eight hours later, you my know mind is mush. There is to know about narco state, or at least enough to talk about it for twenty-five sure. minutes. Yeah, has it only been twenty-five minutes? Thirty-five minutes. Jerry says thirty-five. Josh, I'm going to call this um, DNA uh, database London email. Hello, Josh and Chuck. Love your show. Thought you may be interested in a little story in regards to the podcast about crime databases. I am from Yakima, Washington, but I've lived in the UK for the last decade. I'm a train driver, engineer. Lisa is 30. She's an American train engineer living in England. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) So uh, a friend of mine who is also a conductor had a recent experience with the British Transport Police in regards to this. He was spat on by a member of the public who was abusive while carrying out ticket duties, so the police were called. Uh, on the day and for weeks after, my friend was pretty much harassed by the police because they wanted a DNA sample from him for, quote, exclusion purposes. He steadfastly uh, declined each request to the point where he put it in writing to the police that he would get a solicitor involved to ensure he never had to submit a sample. The outcome is basically that he, uh, the offender went unpunished because the police won't follow it up anymore because the guy who was attacked and spit upon won't surrender his DNA. For exclusion purposes. So just thought you may want to know, here in England, even victims of crime are being coerced into giving samples. Keep up the great work from Lisa. XXX from Lisa. Wow. Not an XO, buddy. Triple X. Yeah. 
That's from Lisa in Stoke Hammond, Buckinghamshire. And I guess that's a place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been spit on before and spit back. Did you get spit on? Mm-hmm. By who? Cab driver in Nice. Really? Oh, he's such a jerk. He tried to charge me 20 bucks for like an eight-block cab ride. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm not giving you that much. Yeah. And uh, he was like, yes, you will. And I... I just like blinked and like put my hand in my face, and sure enough, there's a spit, and I just spit right back in his face. This is in France. I thought he was going to explode. Not even in a narco state. It was in Nice. Did you pay him? I paid him some. I didn't pay him twenty bucks. <sighs> what a jerk! Yeah. Spit on Josh. No doubt. Yeah, he's got a meeting with me scheduled. Thanks, buddy. I'm gonna go find this guy. Yeah, let's go to Nice. All right. All right, well, if you have any stories about spitting on or being spit upon, um, you can send it an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. <laughs>